Blog Talk Radio. Stephanie George, 23, single mother, addicted to drugs. She made the mistake of letting her boyfriend store some drugs in her home in a lockbox. She got life without parole. Dickie Joe Jackson, 27 and a father of three. One of his kids was sick and needed a life-saving bone marrow transplant. At first, he tried fundraising the money to get it, but he wasn't successful. So he made the mistake of selling methamphetamine in order to try and pay for the operation. He received a life sentence for it. Robert Riley, like so many others, he started experimenting with marijuana at a young age. He got busted twice for it. Later in life, at 40, he was arrested for selling LSD. He was sentenced to die in jail. In most of these cases, the judges themselves say they wish they didn't have to impose the sentence. Take the case of Weldon Angelos, a 25-year-old record producer. He was convicted of selling marijuana a couple of times to an informant who claimed that he had a gun. He received more than twice as much time as he would have if he had hijacked an airplane, detonated a bomb in public, second-degree murderer. Weldon Angelos is going to be 80 by the time he gets out of jail. He has kids. Can you believe that? More time than a murderer for selling marijuana? The sentencing judge himself said he thought it was cruel, unjust, and even irrational to give this man that much time, but the law required him to do it. Stop and think about that for a minute. The judges themselves in court while they're delivering the sentence are saying they think it's unfair, but they're required to do it by law. Pretty crazy, right? I'm Alex Crate, criminal law professor at Thomas Jefferson School of Law. You're probably asking yourself, how do we get to a place where judges can't judge? Where nonviolent, low-level drug offenders are getting longer sentences than many rapists and murderers? And the answer is one of the most terrifying aspects of our war on drugs. Mandatory minimum sentencing. Remember those three words. So here's how it works. Think about a drug organization. you got the guy at the top, the kingpin, the one making all the money. Maybe he's a violent guy, a known murderer, the one the laws were supposedly designed to punish. Then you got all the people below him, the drivers, the couriers, a kid who's selling drugs after school, even the girlfriend of the dealer, if she takes a couple voicemails or lets him store drugs at her house. Under the law, all of these people are considered conspirators. Now you might think, surely they'll each receive a different sentence. The kingpin's gonna be punished more than the people below him. But what I'm saying is the mandatory minimum sentencing laws treat them all the same. They're sentenced not based on the role that they played in the offense, but just on the type and quantity of drugs involved. And that right there is just plain wrong. Welcome in tonight, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. And ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you right now that we are seeing something happening in this country It's been going on for quite some time, the unequal justice in America. And I'll tell you, folks, there seems to be two two types of justice, one for the rich, the privileged, and one for the middle class, those that are perhaps middle class and even under. And if you're a minority, that conversation gets even deeper. Folks, we deal tonight with unequal justice in America, disparity in sentencing, and I'll tell you what, it's getting worse every day. Folks, hang on to your seats. We take off right now.
And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Cliff Stewart, Lisa Stewart, Kendrick Barnes, Sampson Riddle, William Williams, and Dennis Merritt, and the entire AJC radio team as we tackle another topic, folks, that, to be honest with you, is a disgrace in this country. And we're going to talk about the disparities and why are people sentenced to different sentences when the crime is the same and sometimes uh, even far worse. And uh, I'll tell you right now, Sampson, as we get ready to unload this one, uh, this is a serious issue that has to be addressed, cannot go ignored. And, and then on the other hand, we begin to complain about mass incarceration. If there was fair justice, if there was fairness within the system, if you didn't have disparities in the system, well, I can guarantee you right now we'd have more people on the streets in America versus locked up. We'd have less African-Americans and minorities locked up uh, in our prisons and the outrageous sentences that come just because you have some judges, and I, I emphasize some, you got some good judges out there that have a heart for what they do and do it the right way. Let make, make no mistake about that. Tonight we deal with the other side of the coin. What about the judges that simply says, we'll sentence you, I believe there were two African-American uh, young ladies sentenced, I believe, to life in, with, for marijuana. For marijuana. That sense has changed. Uh, because that, of course, was argued. It became a huge outcry about that. Uh, we talk about a lot of things that we're going to get into. Samson, your thoughts of why this is so very important and why the thoughts of people is the fact we don't have a fair system. Oh, well, I mean, you're going to hear in this discussion, and I've, I mean, everything from, you know, the, the celebrity and the wealthy that, you know, bar their influence and throw their weight around in the justice system to probably some talk about affluenza about, Oh, they're just so rich. They didn't know no better to, I mean, like you said, even the disparity between people that commit the exact same crime, but get different sentences based on race or influence. I mean, it's all going to be on the table tonight. And I hope it provokes not only a lot of good conversation amongst the hosts here, but also in our listeners that are out there. I mean, it is vitally important. The fact that, you know, justice is supposed to be blind. If you ever look at the statue, that's the way it's supposed to be. It doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your race, creed, color, or anything else is. Justice is supposed to be justice. And the fact that it's not is the reason why this show is, exists, is because we're out here fighting injustice each and every week, doing everything we can to get that message out there. Oh, absolutely right. And I'll tell you what, folks, don't go by Lady Justice uh, now. You'll find that her eyes are wide open without anything. Uh, cover, and that is insanity at its highest level. William, your thoughts on this one as we get ready to go down this road? You know, we've heard stories, and it, and it continues to be worse, um, where you're seeing minorities are constantly being sentenced more, two and three times uh, longer sentence terms than, um, than a, you know, someone else that was white. That would, uh, And it's not fair. It's really not fair. And like Samson said, you know, there's those that have money. They, they, they buy justice. They buy their form of justice. And um, so this is a huge issue. And, and like you said, we're constantly seeing the prisons being, uh, you know, overflowing, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's the justice system. It's just amazing how we sit there and look at it. We say we've got the best system in the world, but it's not. It's proven not to be. No, absolutely right. Kendrick uh, Barnes, our, uh, one of our co-anchors here, uh, you've said it, you've lived it. Uh, Never a day in his life ever in trouble with the law. And you can, but however you want to say it, they do the book at you. Yeah. They, Your they, thoughts? Yeah. Uh, 
the sentence they gave me and the rest of my co-defendants was is highly irregular. And and what really sticks out is how the how the judges in the court hides behind the fact that, oh we're following the guidelines. And they're not following the guidelines. They're they're basically they have leeway to do the right thing. But there's also what people uh fail to acknowledge is that judge is a person that has biases, prejudices, right. likes, dislikes. You can come in that courtroom overweight, too tall, not dressed properly, and that can affect your sentence because that, that judge who's going to sentence you is quietly sitting in a bitch with a robe on, picking you apart in your mind, his mind, and you don't know what's going to come out until you get that number and you get that, that uh, sentencing verdict that's way out of control. And that's exactly what happened to me and the federal IRP6. The, the, it was obvious the court did not like us. Because we were fighting for our lives, and and, and that's who's going to sit back and just let someone just bury you without a fight, and that caused her to just like, oh, I'm throwing a book at you because I dare you fight against the courts. I dare you to try to say, hey, you're innocent when you didn't do a crime, and I'm here behind the bench, and that's exactly what happened to us. Well, the bottom line is with that type of attitude, and the her is Judge Christina Aguayo, uh, federal judge of the Tenth Circuit. Uh, who makes that statement, made the statement that my life is in your hands. Make no mistake about it. Uh, kind of a gloating, if you will, that I can do whatever I want. It's a God complex. Uh, they say a lot of doctors have it. Uh, judges have it as well. Uh, that has to change. And if that doesn't change, uh, the system is doomed to fail as it is failing right now. Cliff, your thoughts? Yeah, when you look at the sentencing, you look at the, you know, you can have one charge for one person. And I mean, like Kendrick was saying, a person can walk into the courtroom too fat, too skinny, too tall, too short, too black, too white. And it when it comes when it boils down to it, the law was made. It's supposed to be justice, supposed to be blind to say the law applies to every person no matter who you are. No man is supposed to be above the law. Well, we have watched time and time again over the years, over the last few months, over the last few days, even today, that how does one person get to this position? And because of who you are, because of, uh, you know, you may be an entertainer, you may be a ball player, uh, you know, sometimes your crime gets hidden or your crime gets uh, excused or you can – you know, like we saw today, a couple of days community service and everything is thrown out. And when when we as the public, we have to question these things. We have to say, what is going on? Let us see. Where's the transparency in justice? Where is the accountability on the on the part of those who are part of who are in the system? Prosecutors, judges and even attorneys to say, why don't they push for fairness and sentencing and guidelines and, you know, in the criminality of, of any of any person who commits a crime? Where is the fairness in sentencing? At? Oh, absolutely right. Uh, Dennis, your thoughts? Yeah, and I look at it like this. Our justice system, when you think about it, I mean, you can go state to state and see disparity in, in uh, sentencing. I mean, and that's a shame. Federal against state, uh, local. I mean, black, white, rich poor. Uh, it's just ridiculous. I mean, there is no standard. So if, if, if you got money and you still, 
you, you, you get a slap on the hand. If you're poor and you steal, you get, you know, 30 years. I mean, it's just well, ridiculous. Something has to be done because it, the, the, the justice system that we have now is totally broken. And, and you get well, tired of people. They, they know this fact. They know that the disparities are there. I mean, these are people that can make a change. And they act like there's no way to do our hands are tied. Oh, we, we, we acknowledge that there's these racial disparities. Do something. Exactly. You know, this is time to change the system. Do something. Well, the issue is it's not only in sentencing. You have a black man running away from an officer that gets eight warning shots in his back. You get a guy that's <laughs> selling uh, CDs on a corner and gets strangled to death by a group of officers. You got a man crying in a jail cell that he can't breathe. And he, they killed this man. Unequal justice is not only sentencing. We're going to deal with all of it. We're probably going to have to do it in two shows, but we're going to deal with all of it. Why is it that I'm telling an officer I can't breathe, but I'm a heavyset black guy that, that where my jumpsuit looks like a, a medium? Uh, I get killed. So I'm overweight. This guy's black. He's not attractive to those that are looking at him. He doesn't matter. That's unequal justice. You got people going in jails to complete a two-day term for a traffic violation. A veteran, a sergeant, he's dead in two days. This is unequal justice. So when you start talking about it, it's not only citizen. It affects every part of our system. That's why the crime must be made. That's why the outrage must be there. When an officer walks past a cell door... Six times in a night while a man is dying. He's not even convicted of anything yet. This is unequal justice when you find that person dead by morning. When a young lady is asked to clean up her own vomit because she is dying and sick. This is unequal justice. And this is why the crime must be made. Folks, I'll tell you what. It gets more and more ugly. This conversation gets more and more difficult. We're going to have it. Feel free to dial in to 646-200-0628. That's 646-200-0628. We're going to get into that conversation on the other side of the break. But before we go to that break, let's address an issue. Uh, I call him Hollywood Slick. Mark Garagos, attorney out of Hollywood, that did a huge injustice uh, to the RP6 families. Uh, we've been putting it out there on social media uh, in regards to how he took over $100,000 from the families, friends that came together to help uh, a defense for these innocent IT professionals. Kendrick Barnes, being one of them, who is a host of this show now, uh, has been named uh, in a uh, Washington uh, Wall Street Journal uh, as a co-conspirator in the Michael Avenatti case where money was being at least attempted to be extorted uh, from, from Nike, uh, I know as one of the organizations. He's been named, and soon after that, uh, I believe it was yesterday, or first thing this morning, I believe it was yesterday, CNN dropped him uh, after he was identified as that. Uh, my point to this is we're going to deal more with Mr. Garagos uh, as we get forward, because you have people in the criminal justice system that are contributors, if you will, enablers. That, that continue the system of unequal justice going. Uh, I make no mistake about it. Mark Garagos is one of them, uh, and he is being called out. Uh, and he's a celebrity attorney, 
uh, deals with a lot of the named stars in Hollywood that get in trouble. He's there. Uh, but again, we have been talking about Mark Garagos ever since he did, uh, I believe, the most unethical level of misconduct as an attorney uh, to, to defendants. Cedric, uh, your thoughts on this as this story uh, unfolds as, as we've seen his pattern? Well, I'm not surprised because from from I've never met him in person, and, but I've I've known him by being a client. And when you watch him on television, well, I mean, we were excited when he first agreed to take our case. And when you watch him on television, the face of professionalism. Get him in private. Get in a phone call with him, which I have been on with my fellow co-defendants. Mm-hmm. It's Jekyll and Hyde. And I'm not saying it's just to try to disparage the guy. I'm telling you, this is the truth. This guy is Jekyll and Hyde. I can see why he is trying. he's out there for the money because we asked him to do to write motions and, and to basically uh, defend us in our appeal. We got zero return. We got a lot of talk, but there was no motion written. Well, my understanding of Kendrick was is that when he first heard of the case, he said, "I'm not even. I don't want to. Money doesn't matter to me." Exactly, said. exactly. But and you took a hundred thousand. Exactly, and and we got nothing. We're and so we're and another thing is, who yells at their paying client when they're just to asking you to do your job? He's yelling at us as if we're the uh, we're we're across the aisle from him. We're the we're the defendant of prosecution or whatever. He's yelling at us, and we're like, "No, we're the client." Here's the problem. Here's the problem. You're not a millionaire. Exactly. I promise you that Mr. Chris Brown, uh, when he was defended by Mr. Gar- I, I guarantee there wasn't a shopping match going on there. No. Because you cut a check for over a million dollars. Oh, if the money, this is unequal justice. So it's about the money, and that's why if I can not how he treated us and took our money. Took it. I can see why he was out for money. In this night case, this doesn't surprise us. And, and to to add to what Ken is saying, I mean, I dealt with uh, with Mark Garagos, you know, for for the case with Ken and the other guys, and to try, you know, you've paid him. I mean, he has the money. You try to get him on the phone. Try to call. Try when you have a scheduled meeting. I kid you not. We had a meeting, and you're talking about these are men's lives on the line. Say, hey, we need to, we're trying to get them out of prison. We have a scheduled call, the response from his office, and then from text messages, oh, give me a few more minutes. I need 10 more minutes. Oh, I need 10 more minutes. Well, suddenly it comes to light that his excuses are lining up with the play-by-play on, on the uh, second round of the playoffs. He finally comes to the phone like, yeah, I was watching the game and got caught up. And, you know, some of those some of those plays like, man, don't have time. You have been you have been paid money. You're watching a football game and tell me that's the reason that that uh, we're being put off as a client with these men sitting in prison. You're supposed to be fighting for their lives. Where is your moral sense of duty that says, I am fighting for my client? And not only that, this is your job. You've been paid 100000 Get off the couch watching football. Pause it. This is the age of DVR. Uh, However you want to do it, pause it and go back. But we have a meeting. You're talking about getting men out of prison that are wrongfully convicted and locked up. This This is who this man is. 
not off of something I've seen, but what I know, being on the phone, yes. uh, having, uh, you know, one of the, the, the uh, co-workers at, at a Just Cause being cussed out by Mark Gallegos because we're asking him, hey, can you keep an appointment, dude? Well, I'll tell you what, this again, this falls under unequal justice. It's, it cannot go on. And when you have unequal justice, whether it comes from the bench of a judge, whether it comes from the mouth of an attorney, it compounds the problem. This is why the justice system, the disparities, all of these things, many, many people are to blame. And you got to call every one of them out. This is what AJC Radio does. On the other side of the break, we're going to be, again, picking up the conversation. Unequal justice in America. We'll be talking furthermore about Mark Garagos. Check us out online. You'll see more out there regarding uh, uh, those issues. And it, it, this is what we are supposed to do. Make no mistake about it. This is what advocacy work is. It's to fight against injustice. Joining us also at the bottom of the hour will be Laura Goldman, Wall Street broker turned journalist, freelance reporter at Daily Mail, freelance producer, booker at ABC News. You name it, she's got a resume. She's been on this show before. She's going to chime in into this conversation of sentencing disparities. Folks, hang on to your seats. We'll be right back. This is ADC Radio. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can have value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? 
You can remember that it worked. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified, and in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we We have have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We we can can make a difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters, our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Sparks. I'm Chase Crawford. Hey, what's up? It's Usher. Hi, I'm Rachel Dawson. I'm Hayden Christensen. I'm Peyton Manning. Hey, we're Fall Out Boy. I'm Dan Archuleta. I'm Corbin Blue. I'm Kristen Bell. And we're the Jonas Brothers. Do something good for your community. Reuse bags and bottles and always recycle. Help us collect a million pounds of food. 
helps people prepare for natural disasters. Do something about homelessness. Anyone could be a rock star in their community. So then do something. Do something. Do something. Do something. Visit dosomething.org to find out how. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. Tonight, addressing an issue that definitely needs to be discussed, unequal justice in America, uh, in our criminal justice system, as well as dealing with sentencing disparities across this nation is absolutely uncomprehendable. We're going to deal with this topic. I am anticipating a part two next Tuesday to conclude the matter, as we are seeing a huge amount of issues being addressed in this country. Uh, you can't have prison reform without addressing prison sentencing disparities. Mandatory minimums, things that keep people locked up and not given a chance to get back in society, and a lot of times not violent offenders, uh, not people who are a threat to society, but have paid the price for their crime uh, and are paying it over and over and over again. You find that among minorities, you find that among different types of cases, whether you're in a, whatever social line uh, status, if you will, that you may find yourself on, uh, there is still a disparity there. And if you put an African-American, a minority, in front of a judge that decides to give 40 years, but six years of someone else, maybe not of that color shade, there's a problem. Uh, and when disparities enter the courtroom where justice is sought, uh, we are in a bad predicament here, in a bad situation, uh, as we've heard from Kendrick Barnes regarding the outrageous sentences uh, that was given to the RP5, RP6 now known as the RP5, that have suffered tremendously. Uh, no criminal record, nothing in the past, but law-abiding citizens, and because an accusation was thrown out, where overwhelming evidence, over, not just what we think maybe, overwhelming evidence, uh, actions by Judge Christina Guayo, Federal Judge Christina Guayo, that is highly questionable, uh, has been challenged, has been looked at, has been dealt with. Uh, we have a problem in this country. And uh, there are many cases as the RP5s, uh, many cases about folks that, you know what, well, I just don't like you today. We're going to send a message. The God complex on benches in courtrooms across America and the arrogance for many, not all. Because I've come, I've been, in, you know, privileged enough uh, to meet and to talk to some outstanding judges that have a heart for what they do, that seek to do the right thing. We've had them on our show, so make no mistake about it. This is not a indictment on all judges, but it is a, a serious question uh, of why some judges do what they do to the point where impeachment many times has to be a solution to remove uh, judges off of the bench because of the disparities that we find in our courtrooms. And we're going to get into that discussion. Uh, and we're going to continue to discuss that. So this is something that we act, actually have to take a look at, have to pay attention to, because if we don't, uh, our system is already out of control. It's a bipartisan effort in Washington to address these issues uh, and to do what we need to do. I believe in Khalif Browder's case, that was a disparity. And this was a case where this young man was never charged with a crime, but he did three years at one of the most violent jail systems on Rikers Island in this country. 
ultimately costing this young man his life due to that disparity. Ask the question, why was this young black man left in jail without being charged with a crime? That's a disparity. We're going to get into that conversation right now. Tonight, again, as I told you prior to the break, we are honored and privileged to have a a young lady who joined us earlier uh, on our show, Laura Goldman. Uh, Title, you got a lot of things in this title, but listen carefully. Wall Street broker turned journalist, freelance reporter at Daily Mail, freelance producer, booker at ABC News, and her name, her work precedes her, and her reputation is one which I believe is to be admired. Laura, thanks for joining us tonight. We appreciate you for being here with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And Laura, as we get into this conversation tonight, uh, what are your thoughts on the sentencing disparities and what I call the unequal justice that's happening in this country right now? Okay, so how about this one? I think that, yes, there is a black-white disparity, but more importantly, there's a class disparity. And we saw it today with um, Jussie Smollett and, um, and Michael Avenatti. Okay? Yes. Meaning that um, Jussie Smollett had the connections to get, to, uh, get his case dropped. dropped. And, and I'll give you an example. In my case, it was held against me that I was single and didn't have children. So wow. you're right. The whole system is a mess. And most of the time, the people affected are African-Americans. So I'm, I'm not going to dispute that. But right. in my case, I was brought back from Israel on a private plane at the cost of a half a million dollars because a billionaire wanted me back. Yes. Wow. Okay, so... You're, I'm not, listen, what happens is a judge sees someone like himself, and he thinks this could be me, and he gives them a light sentence. You're absolutely right. And when they see me, you know, and I was single, didn't have, you know, they thought, who is this odd odd duck? We're just going to throw her away. Uh, So you have a point, but I think that the whole system has to be changed. Absolutely right. Absolutely and, you know, right. And we, we, you know, you know, last, you know, Paul Manafort got four years. But I think there's a, you know, there will always be a bias to white old men, rich white old men. Right, right, right. And, Laura, I think, and I think your point is, is no, well taken. It, it, it goes far beyond race, for sure. Uh, and yeah, like no, you no. said, I like. Race is a major factor. Sure. But I. I would. I was hounded in three in in Philadelphia, New York, and Boston because of a billionaire. Okay, right. three mm-hmm. different cases. You know, you saw today Rahm Emanuel was speaking about the cost of the case. My yeah. case was brought in three different jurisdictions. Yeah, yeah, and I'll tell you now, Mr. Smollett. To do a premeditated as he did, uh, it came clear. Fox, uh, the show Empire, dropped him. Uh, it was clear that he was guilty. That he exactly. lied. But but he had the connections to get to a friend of Michelle Obama's, 
And that certainly weighed into why he was let go. Now, you know, we don't know. We don't, he was, you know, we don't know exactly. But what I'm saying to you is one of the things that I campaign for in Pennsylvania and other places is, is we need a public defense. Public defenders deserve, need a bigger budget because a good lawyer can do many things. And no, I, I agree with that. And and like I said, this is something as you as you uh, illustrated there, the entire system of things have to be checked. I was sitting here reading the Smollett uh, attorney statement, and they this this is unbelievable to me. It says today, all criminal charges against Jesse Smollett were dropped, and his record has been wiped clean, clean. Right. Of the filing of this tragic complaint against him. Jesse was attacked by two people he was unable to identify on January 29th. He was a victim. A victim? Well, you paid cash for this thing to carry out. Do you know we had a lady on this show who was wrongfully sitting on death row. It took 25 years to write her record. Well, that's what that's why I say you're, you you you've addressed part of the problem it's race, the other part is money and attention. Absolutely. And you know, like we the case that you just discussed, we need to bring it to the attention of Kim Kardashian. <laughs> Maybe I'll see her at the White House next week. Right. And and we've heard of that trip uh to the White House and we congratulate you on that because you know what? Until you get the right people in the room Let's say, wait a minute, folks, I hear what you're saying, but you need to hear my story, what I suffered, what I have endured. You want to talk about prison reform? Well, guess what? Letting Mr. Smollett off the hook and wiping his record clean is a poor example of that. That's not a good story to start with. Look, Meek Mill is out of jail, is out of jail now because of a couple bills, you know, Jay-Z. And, and the Sixers co-owner, Michael Rubin, spent mm-hmm. a fortune on his legal defense. Yeah. That's the great inequity. And, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm not saying the beginning of the case, the end of the case, but the bottom line is if, if Jay-Z and Michael Rubin, the Sixers co-owner, hadn't spent a, a million dollars to get him out of jail, he still wouldn't be out of jail. And that sends a very, very discouraging message to those that, you know what, we, we, we live from paycheck to paycheck. For those people out there exactly. that are trying to make it from day to day and put food on the table and, and medication for their parents and all these things, wow, that is so discouraging because if I can buy justice, it ceases to be justice at all. It, it, it's exactly. not justice. And I, I, that's a good point, Laura, that you make that we're dealing with not only the racial, the social status of people determines what happens. How you walk in a courtroom, then what, did the, what is the oath of the office to uphold the Constitution and to give every man the fair shake of justice? That means nothing. And look, it, the First Step Act, which just passed in December of, of right. last year, okay, it went back retroactively and changed the disparity between cocaine and um, a crack. And that's part of why I'm going to the White House. It's a celebration of the First Step Act. Now, in 
Obama, I think in 2010, he eliminated that disparity, but nobody would go back and let people out. So the disparity is eliminated, yet people were sitting in jail without having their sentences recalculated. Now, most of them were African-Americans, which is why there probably wasn't a rush. And I'm not, you know, I'm not. And finally, this first step back is letting those people uh, out. And one by one, they're getting out. And it's crazy that, you you, you know, what's going to happen with marijuana? They they want to make it legal, and but yet people are going to be sitting in jail? Yeah, that again, to to have an act or a law passed, if you can't enforce it, then people. She, people well, they be, could enforce it going forward. They just the the Republicans refused to make it retroactive. Now that it's now made retroactive, but that was well, ridiculous. Absolutely, absolutely, and and again, I listen. I have the utmost respect for the First Step Act. We met with members on the Hill regarding that issue. Uh, we're happy about that. But it is so much the tip of the iceberg of what's left remaining to be done and why the Bureau of Prisons, when they get an order, and this has come up, why are they so slow to move to, to, uh, to enforce the, 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 the rule of law? That has been in place federally by the members of Congress. And that's been a frustration for members, Cliff, on the Hill, uh, as far as the slow process, not wanting to adhere, that becomes to become a major issue. And again, it comes into unequal justice as well. Exactly. You have the law well, in place. Go ahead, Laura. Go ahead. You know, part of the problem is, is that Trump, uh, Donald, uh, President Trump and uh, Jared Kushner p- pushed the ball through with help from uh, Senator Grassley, et cetera. But the, the, the problem was is that Jeff's, uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions and now um, Attorney General William Barr weren't for it. So you do have some conservatives. You don't have all conservatives. So right. they're slow walking it, and it's a problem. I met with Lindsey Graham uh, the last time I was in Washington, and I begged him to hold an implementation hearing for the first step act. And he looked at me like I was cuckoo bird. <laughs> so, I mean, he has no interest. He's only interested in pushing judges through, you know, conservative judges and things like that. Uh, and that, again, those are issues that have to be addressed because uh, are we doing this for face time? Uh, are we doing it because we believe that these men need to be released out and we need to move quickly? I think that the horrific part of that is that some of these people don't even go to the wrongfully convicted. Some of these people just should not have been there as long as they've been there. And when you add in the wrongfully See, that's the point. I mean, it's marijuana. It's drugs. It's it's not, you know, even if you're for an eye for an eye, it's not murder. So their lives should not be taken away. And and like you said, uh, Paul Manafort got four years, and, uh, uh, you know, and some of these people are getting 25 years for first offenses. It's crazy. It's unbelievable. Uh, Laura, we're going to come right back. We're going to take a quick break. Can you join us on the other side of this break? Sure. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this this is the discussion, the conversation that has to be had – 
Laura brings some insight to that conversation, and I'll tell you what, she's right. It's not only you're dealing with the racial problem, but you're dealing with social status, and that is about money. And when injustice stands because a dollar bill blocks the door, we're just beginning to have chaotic reactions to our criminal justice system. This is AJC Radio. We'll be back. Laura Goldman giving some insight. We're going to hear more from her on the other side of the break as we continue unequal justice in America, disparities in our system. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trials and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people, 4.5% of the world's total population, but housed 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone, but the human costs are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that 
That is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world. The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. Tonight, our topic, unequal justice in America, sentencing disparities, disparities in arrest, disparities in targeting, you name it. Uh, we have a disparity problem in this country. We're so honored tonight to be joined uh, by Laura Goldman. Uh, I'll tell you what, she's given some insight here and is a outspoken young lady, but I'll tell you what, carries a lot of weight, and uh, we're happy to have her tonight as she has chimed in. Uh, on the discussion. Laura, thanks so much for coming back and being a part of this show. Oh, so listen, I realized that um, Mark Garagos defended the case you were just talking about, okay? Yeah. Now, he set up at Michael Avenatti, okay? So he's an equal opportunity rat. And, 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 and think about it. We have a country where Michael Avenatti's been arrested three times in the last several months, and uh, we could and and and, and we couldn't get uh, President Trump, Ivanka, or uh, Jared arrested. So um, I mean, it's a little, re- you know, it's pretty. Cl- I mean, whether or not Avenatti is innocent or you know guilty, I don't really know. But three different cases in three months, it looks to me like somebody's after him. And yeah, in, in the case of the first, Nike case, it was Garagos that set him up. Yeah, and you know what? You know, the, so I'm, you know, I'm just mentioning it. You know, like no, everyone no. likes to think it's only their people or whatever. You know, right. When when the feds want to come get you, they find a way. And that's horrific. And then you're talking about the federal government, uh, Washington, the Department of Justice, where justice is supposed to be blind. Uh, we that is yes, such, exactly. It is such a non-believable, if you will, uh, title uh, reputation that this is where justice is truly found. Contact uh, the Department of Justice. I think there was something outside the building, Cliff, when we were there. That I mean, in huge letters that talked about justice is here. Uh, you if or something along those lines. This is where justice is found. Something along those lines. And I'll tell you. We're seeing just a lot of stuff, uh, whether it's that case that you're talking about, whether it's other cases, uh, 
where oh, I'm, not, is, I'm not sympathetic. I'm just saying. No, I understand it, that. It seems a lot of resources are being devoted to silence one man. Well, absolutely right. And if that's again, we just said earlier that money uh, to be able to buy justice with money and dollars and cents, uh, that's a bad. That's bad. And that's something we got to talk about. Samson, your thoughts on it? Well, I mean, it's Look, a I, matter. I talk to Roger Stone every once in a while, and he's broke. He says, you know, he says he's eating peanut butter and jelly. And you know, but my point is, is that no one can afford to be guilt to to fight their charges, and there's there that needs to be corrected. And in in in, Phila- in Pennsylvania, the um, the, um, the Philadelphia. Philadelphia the Philadelphia Defender's Office wants to train local offices, and they can't get money to do it. Well, how, do, how can't you get money to train and to make a situation hopefully better, and there's no funding for it? That, 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 that's unheard right, of. Right. Samson? So just just listening to all the conversation and everything else like that, I mean, it, it's absolutely astounding how, you know, I mean, we talk on the show about a lot about how people that are above the law and everything else like that. But, I mean, that we, we see clear evidence right now. I mean, people just walking around free, flexing their influence, doing whatever they got to do, and proving to the rest of the nation exactly how above the, the law they really are. I mean, they've got connections, they've got money, and they're just going to throw enough of that at it. And they're going to walk. I mean, where, where, where truly is the justice at? And just to see cases, I mean, we've talked about Garagos, we've talked about Smala, we've talked about, you know, several others. But, I mean, truly, like, when are we going to get a system in place that is going to hold these people accountable for the things that they've done? Any other person come out with a false accusation and, you know, claim to be a victim of a hate crime or they embezzle money and go after stuff like uh, Garagos did. I mean, these people would be locked up under the jail. They would never see the light of day again. But because of who they are and the influence that they have, they're, they're out, you know, enjoying the sunshine and sweet tea today. Yep. Yep. That, that's a major issue. Andrew that's Craig. Exactly right. No, absolutely, Laura. Right now, I want to play a clip really quick. Andrew Craig talks about the unusual sentencing uh, to the RP6, known now as the RP5, uh, and what they endured, which is unbelievable. Let's hear a little bit from Andrew Craig, Laura, and I'm going to get your thoughts on it on the other side of this clip. Let's play it. Well, one thing is the length of the sentence. Uh, I'm just going to speak in very broad terms, but. with the the budget problems that everybody knows the government has, with the devastation that uh, uh, a, a jail sentence can bring, uh, it's highly, highly unusual and um, just a total red flag to have these kinds of long sentences for a white-collar crime. So even taking the prosecution's case on a superficial level at first glance. 
uh, it just doesn't look right. And then once it gets your attention, you start digging down and things like the transcripts. And I'm sure your audience has heard about the judge, uh, the retired federal judge who wrote about the missing transcripts. But uh, uh, in the Huffington Post and elsewhere, that's quite unusual for a judge to uh, inter intervene uh, like that. So he clearly must have and did see an aberration of the system. Well, there you have it. Uh, Andrew Craig talking about the sentencing, talking about uh, these men, IT professionals, overwhelming evidence uh, should have been looked at, should have been considered. Uh, well, that ultimately brought uh, retired federal judge H. Lee Sarakin in to comment about the injustice suffered here. Every person that we had talked to uh, stated, including Judge uh, Sarakin, was the sentencing. Seven to 11 years for some guys that uh, something was criminalized that never should have been. Never one day in trouble with the law. Not a day. But yet someone else comes with major conspiracy issues in the billions of dollars. They get six years. Six years. Disrespected the court. Did failure to have, didn't adhere to nothing that the court had requested, this same judge. But you throw these guys who fought vehemently for their innocence and did a great job. Says, I have your life in my hands. I can do what I want. How do we fix that, Laura? How do we fix that? I wish I knew. I'll tell you, one of my judges, he was moving. On the day that we had a hearing, and I got all the way to New York, and he canceled the hearing because he had to move that day. And like I'm like, doesn't he have people to move for him? Are you the and I had another judge who said he had to work by sentencing, getting me out of jail around his ski vacation in Europe. They're, they're king, and maybe that's the problem. You know, maybe we need to put federal you know, judges on the bench only for 10 years. You know, why do they deserve a lifetime appointment? And, and yeah, everyone's I mean, been talking about the Supreme Court, whether things need to be changed there. But I say it has to be changed throughout the whole system. Why, why, do, they, why do they deserve to be king? What made them king? No, I agree with you. And, and I think that's a good point that, that's raised here is that when you're dealing with the human element, and people that – Kendrick, you alluded to this earlier. Uh, these are human beings that have personal biases. Uh, there yeah. is no foolproof system with human beings. So if that's the case, I would believe it would be very important to say, look, let's take a look at this. Say somebody – say a judge is hypothetically, Laura, a judge's family gets involved in some type of a burglary. Uh, their kids or whoever are traumatized. There's just this impact. You can't turn those feelings on and off because life is that way and there are no guarantees, exactly. then you, what, you, what you say, Laura, is, is very important. We have to consider that in appointing somebody for life because once you appoint them, you can't take them down other than some very egregious issue. But 
I think that's a good point to be made. Dennis, your thoughts on that, on what Laura suggests? I agree. I mean, it's, no one should be above the law, period. Uh, and I think that the law needs to be, you know, that there, there needs to be consequences, but not only for the citizens, but those that are governed, those that are given the, the power to rule as, as our judges and our prosecutors. Because prosecutors, they got the same thing. I mean, what you can't do nothing to a prosecutor. I mean, they're above the law. Same with the judge. And I agree with you when you say we need to limit uh, how long they can be in office. I mean, how long that judge can be there. You say 10 years. I, I, I would want to say five, but I mean, 10 is more realistic. But still, we need to put a cap on how long these prosecutors or these judges can stay in place. Well, I think to the point of being reevaluated, you know, kind of like on a job. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you might be right, but I'm just saying we, we need to do something. But there is right. one prosecutor that you can't say a bad word about. Uh, I don't know if you've been reading about the miracle in Philadelphia. Uh, Larry Krasner, our new DA, he has slashed and burned everything that old prosecutors used to do. Has he? That's good. Yes. Um, That's good. He was, uh, his initial campaign was funded by George Soros. And one of the things that we don't do, everybody looks at laws and other things. I think we need to look at electing DAs. You and, know, focus our energies there. And that's something that people haven't been doing. No, no, no. And I know here in Colorado, uh, the DAs are elected. The main DA, who over, who's over the whole office, but then you got the ADAs who are conducting the trials, uh, for the no, most no, part. This guy's changed all that. He uh, uh, he's now revamping probation. He doesn't want it any longer than the sentence for jail. Oh, that's awesome. And he would like a, a, a period of three years. What's his name? Larry Krasner. He was a former defense lawyer. This is his, uh, his only public office that he wants to run for. And he's done incredible things. He's changed unbelievable amounts of things. Uh, he wants prosecutors to discuss how long the cost of the prison sentence when they go before the judge sending somebody to prison. That's good. And you know what? We say this. You just have to believe that there are people out here that uh, that care. And Larry sounds like to be one of them that, that actually absolutely does. So our objective is that, look, we got to have some good people out here. They went to law school for a reason. They went there to, look, I want to do the right thing. They're out there. Uh, we've been so bombarded with the wrong. Uh, that's why Larry's uh, – position on the stage to bring change to institute change and not just talk about it he came in and just started doing stuff about it that, yeah, that I is, mean, but that's the ahead. platform he ran on uh, a lot of african americans in philadelphia supported him uh Soros supported him and uh, a lot of the he fired most of the staff and brought in new people well he, he cleaned house for yeah. sure so that's something people are, haven't been talking a lot about, but we need to run uh, uh, pro-people DAs. No, I, listen, listen, Laura, I totally agree with that. Um, and we need more people like Larry. That's what we need. And we need more people like you. 
who are vocal, who say, look, this, these are the solutions. We can talk about the problems all day. What are the solutions? How do we fix it? People like Larry, people like Laura, right. advocate organizations that are saying, look, we're going to be vocal about this. We're going to look out about it. We're going to make a change, and we're going to implement those changes. That is what gets it done. And I, I'm so glad you brought up Larry because uh, that and those are the things that make people say, look, these, these people and look at that. The, the African-American community, a lot of them supported him. You know why? He talked about change. He didn't talk about He talked about what he was going to do. Then as soon as he gets in that office, he begins to do what he said. And that affects that community. It affects that city. Uh, and, and who knows? Maybe what he's doing begins to catch fire. Things say, look, maybe we need to do something. We cut down on mass incarceration. We cut down on deaths in our local jails. We cut down on abuse. Uh, to our inmates, whether they're in prison, whether they're in jail, whether it's federal, whether it's state, these are the things, uh, Laura, that make those things happen. I agree 100% with you. Kendrick, your thoughts on Laura's He doesn't position. ask for bail for misdemeanor offenses anymore. He's not even asking for bail. That's awesome. For misdemeanors. But, for misdemeanor. no, but I'm saying things can – so I'm saying I think we need to change the paradigm of how we fight for criminal justice reform. And I'm just throwing these ideas. I mean, some of them may not be right for Colorado, but uh, right. I do know John Hickenlooper and, you know, he's a little more, he, you know, it's, it's a purple state, but I think that the, these are people you can learn from and find your well, own Larry. Hey, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, hey, maybe Larry's in the shadows just waiting to, to come in on the next election. Uh, and get elected and do something. I I agree. Look, we got some good people out here, uh, but if we don't if we don't pull the cover off of the bad, and somehow I think when we start doing that, the good people start coming forward. Say, what can I do to make a difference? What can I do uh, personally? Because somebody's out there that can get it done right. and make it happen. Absolutely right. So uh, I I tell you what, these are things, ladies and gentlemen of America, that uh, this is why these conversations are so critically important. When you start talking about the impact of change, when you start talking about caring about the families of the incarcerated, of those that have not received equal justice, in order to change that, you have to somehow, some way, uh, resonate in the hearts of the American people to say, look, how many people are out there where loved ones were killed behind the bars? of a county jail were killed behind the wall of a federal or state prison or who were just mistreated or not allowed medication. Uh, This is unequal justice on every possible stage that you can imagine. This is what we're talking about. This is why, man, I never thought that unequal justice happened because we've been brainwashed as a society until you go through a nightmare of injustice. You believe in a system that you were taught your whole life worked. Until federal agents show up on your front door and you have no idea what's going on. Or the local police show up and say you're under arrest, even without evidence that puts you at the scene of unequal justice. We're going to come back, Lori, in a few minutes. I'm going to get your closing thoughts. I know uh, uh, time is of the essence and we want to be respectful of your time. I'd like to get your closing thoughts, if I may, on how do we continue to go forward? How do we come together as communities and how do we find that answer? that turns the tide of this of this that's happening in our country right now. We're going to bring you right back, so hang with us. Uh, this is AJC Radio, ladies and gentlemen. Again, 
unequal justice in America? Has it visited your front door? If so, we're trying to find a solution. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. And does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. I wanted to be in the military since I was was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. you got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back. 
So you owe it to them to live well because they're not here with their families. Boys are never going to approach you. Can you help me reshape my attitude towards women? You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. Tonight, our topic, Unequal Justice in America, Sentencing Disparities, Sentencing Disparities, not only at sentencing, but from the moment our citizens walk into a courtroom, depending on what their social status may be, their color, their background, where they come from, is considered from the moment they step into a courtroom. That is disparity. We've seen it over and over again. Laura Goldman, our very special guest tonight, shine the light. Not only is, are we dealing with race, though that's a huge issue, but money and the people that have it and power and influence can change the situation uh, very, very quickly. As we talked about Mr. Smollett, uh, the gentleman from Empire, Jesse Smollett, uh, all charges dismissed today. Uh, record wiped clean. Uh, and the Chicago mayor, Rahm Emanuel, says this Tuesday that this is a whitewash of justice. He and Chicago Police Department Superintendent Eddie Johnson spoke after the charges against Smollett were dropped without an explanation from prosecutors. Prosecutors always have something to say when they put, when they put the handcuffs on you, when they lock you up and go after you with a frivolous case. They're the first to the mic. But why is it if you've administered justice, you've done the right thing, where are you now when you dismiss all charges? You know why? You have no explanation. Mayor Emanuel says here, it sends a clear message that if you're in position of influence and power, you'll get treated one way, other people will be treated another way. There's no accountability then in the system. It is wrong, full stop, he said. Our officers did hard work day in and day out, countless hours working to unwind what actually happened that night, he said. The city saw its reputation that dragged through the mud, Johnson said. The city is still owed an apology. I've heard that they wanted their day in court with TV cameras so, the America, so that America could know the truth, he said. They chose to hide behind secrecy and broker a deal to circumvent the judicial system. That is a reality. And what they speak is truth. Lori, your thoughts on the reaction from Emmanuel, Mayor Emanuel and the, and the uh, chief of police there? 
<laughs> I've known Rahm Emanuel for 20 years, and I can't believe he, there weren't two, that many curse words in his response. <laughs> so, right. um, you know, that's one thing. <laughs> but yeah. listen, it's clear something funny happened there. I, I don't want to attack Jesse because we don't really know what happened. And, you know, the, the records have been sealed. Um, and why but, were they sealed? I wonder. Well, it I mean, I, I most know. times it can happen. So the whole thing was funny. Yep. Yep. You know, well, the fact, you know, this was a state charge. The federal government could still bring a charge against it. Well, we'll but see about we'll see that. What um, but, you know, you know, you ask what we can do going forward. We've got a yeah. big election in 2020. Yes, and we, do. we need. To look at the candidates, you know, and and focus on their criminal, you know, criminal justice has gotten very little in this campaign so far. It's been Green New Deal, uh, Medicare for All, which are all important, so I don't want to, you know, but Cory Booker is the only one that is kind of running on his – criminal justice platform. He's proposed, he's uh, written a new bill, the Next Step Act, which we need to study, um, which which takes from the First Step Act and moves forward. Yes. And those things are important. We have to find our way uh, through all of this. And Laura, let me say first, uh, thank you so much for what you do. Um, People should know who you are, and they do. Uh, your voice is vocal in this hour of major challenges facing our country uh, is critically important. Uh, so I think what you have to say, your positioning, uh, focusing the American people on what's important, and your platform in which you operate from is to be admired. Uh, we salute you in what you do, um, and we will always support uh, those type of actions because, to me, that's true advocacy. Uh, it's not biting your tongue. It's not saying, well, maybe I should make this sound political. Let's speak the truth and keep marching. I think you, you're a pure example of that. And I thank you for taking you time. Know what, to take- you know, the kind of little things that you can do locally, is, yes. there's a shortage of long-haul truckers. So I'm, I'm working with my local congressman, uh, I'm a local representative, Jordan Harris, um, who is uh, the, uh, the whip of the uh, Philadelphia, uh, the Pennsylvania House, and we're trying to get the Department of Transportation and the Department of Corrections to train prisoners before they leave prison to have their long-haul license, so when they get out, they can have a job. That's awesome. That's awesome. But you can do it where you are. I mean, you know what I mean. Don't wait for the federal government to do things. No, absolutely, because it, it seems to have a turtle crawl of getting things done sometime at the federal level. But your suggestions, all that you do, uh, we'll definitely be in touch offline. Uh, I'll be in touch with you, and, and thank you so much, Laura, for joining us tonight. Okay. After probably a long day. Uh, enjoy the rest of your evening, and good luck, and we yes. want to follow up yes. with you on that meeting in Washington. Congratulations on yes, that. Yes, tomorrow. Cool. Yes, bye-bye. We'll definitely bye-bye. do. Okay, take care. We had folks, Laura Goldman. Uh, headed to Washington, D.C. Uh, for the Prison Reform Summit. Uh, she's in that room with some people that can make change. Uh, those changes need to happen. We'll be right back. 
This is AJC Radio. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff, but he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. Welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot. But I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. Tonight, as we, as a nation, are faced with challenges of humanity proportions. We're not talking about uh, focusing on one's status, one's color, religion, wherever he might come from or she. We find ourselves in unfortunately familiar territories of injustice that has happened on a consistent basis in this country. Tonight we deal with unequal justice. For someone, that kid in a neighborhood that has seen police officers as nothing more than enemies, finds themselves running or trying to escape the presence of police officers. Not necessarily because they've done anything but because of the culture that remains in place. We have found over the last few years the body bags of African-American men increasingly high, dying really for no reason at all. This is what we call unequal justice. This is what we call disparity within a system that says all were created equal, but yet we don't live by that creed. Tonight, we address the issue of unequal justice and disparity after disparity after disparity with the nation uh, truly in a system that has fallen off the tracks. Um, Right now, we're going to take a listen um, to Lee Woolard's story. Uh, When you talk about a prime example or poster child, along with the IRP5, which we will get into discussion, of true unequal justice. Uh, before we get there, let me get up the thoughts from some of our panel tonight. Kendrick, uh, you've heard from Laura Goldman. You've heard what we've discussed here. How troubling is that for you as a young African-American? Uh, it's very troubling. But what I, what I did take away from uh, what Laura was talking about is, and what I appreciated was thinking out of the box. There, there's so many solutions out there that we're not even given a shot even from uh, judges and federal judges and prosecutors being limited to their time on the bench and even having to campaign for the jobs because we don't know who these people are. I mean, they go before the Senate hearings, and but no one – we don't hear the other side. You don't hear those people who have been affected by these judges or before they, they became a judge. You don't hear uh, prosecutors that, you know what, you need to spend some time as a defense attorney before you become a prosecutor so you know what it's like on the other side when – the cards are stacked against you. You, you, you have the, the wealth of a country behind you when you're a U.S. prosecutor. And then here's a, here's a lowly person who's just trying to fight for his life, and he doesn't have the resources to just dig into a deep, unboundless well of, of money to research and to fight for their case. You, that's why there's such a high uh, success rate on prosecutors, 98% conviction rate. That's, mm. that's not because they're that good. It's because the system is that unfair. Good point, Kendrick, on that. Uh, Samson, your thoughts? Well, I mean, uh, just to, you know, kind of resound on what Kendrick is talking about here, I mean, it's it's actually sad to say that, you know, two people just separated solely on, you know, race are going to get varying sentences. I was just reading over an article where, on average, you know, a minority defendant is going to get 20% extra time added on to their sentence. That's not justice. No matter where you go, no matter how you try and cut it, it's not justice. To sit there and say 
I was reading a, ca- a case that came out of Florida. Two people, the exact same courthouse, the exact same crime, the exact same plea. One got two years and was basically given time served. The other one, an a-, a young African-American man, 26 years in prison. Both of them for armed robbery, both robbed. I think one gentleman robbed three people, one knocked over a pizza hut. But I'm talking about two years, and this guy gets time served. So he's already out smoking and joking, doing whatever he wants to do. Meanwhile, the minority defendant is not going to be out of prison until he's almost eligible for his AARP card. That there, you, you cannot call that justice. You can't call it fair. You can't call it whatever, you know, the system is broken. And it's so skewed against people for any reason they can find. It just it doesn't have to be just race. It can be social status. It can be where you come from. Like we've already listed on this show tonight. Any reason that somebody can hold against you, that judge can hold over your head, or that prosecutor can put up there, they're gonna do it. And just like like we've said, Lamont, justice is no longer blind. Oh, absolutely right, uh, Samson. On that, we're gonna get the other host uh, on the other side of this clip. Uh, the Lee Warward story. Part one, let's hear a little bit about that. We're going to go into listening to what he has dealt with. Mandatory minimums is nothing much, nothing short of sentencing disparities. We're going to hear back from Cliff, William, and Dennis here on the other side of this clip. Let's play it. It didn't matter that Lee Willard was a first offender or that no one was physically injured. In Florida, conviction for aggravated assault involving a firearm means an automatic 20 years. That's the mandatory minimum sentence. I looked at him and told him that I would not be sentencing you to this term of incarceration, 20 years Florida State Prison, if it were not for the fact that I was obligated under my oath as a judge to do so. That had to be difficult. Being a judge is difficult. Wollard's case is just one of thousands in this country, most involving drug offenses, in which the punishment is determined by mandatory sentencing laws, laws created by legislators who strip away power from judges they believe to be too lenient and give it instead to prosecutors. It's an invaluable tool for prosecutors and and law enforcement to use because it gives us leverage. Stephen Jansen runs the Association of Prosecuting Attorneys in Washington, D.C. He says that defendants, when faced with harsh mandatory sentences, are more likely to negotiate a plea bargain, avoiding lengthy, costly trials. And the sentencing is more fair, he says. But is it really? When you have these mandatory minimum sentences, aren't you treating the violent career criminals the same way as you're treating the, the first offenders nonviolent. They get the same sentence. But justice is blind. And so it doesn't matter what status you are in our society. If you commit these crimes and fulfill the elements of the crime, blind justice will, uh, will charge you with that. And you should receive equal sentences just as anybody else that committed that same crime. And there you have it, uh, mandatory minimums, an enabler a tool, if you will, uh, to, to deal or uh, cause the problems we're having within the 
criminal justice system and the unequal justice that is there. This judge was torn of either doing what the legend, and this is again, this is why our elections are so critically important. Why are your candidates, what they're doing in your state, what are they doing at the local, the state, and of course the federal elections that go on in this country, uh, how do you tie the hands of a judge? And then they took them. Here's what's sick to me about it. You took out of the hands of those that show human decency in sentencing. You took out of their hands the right to act human. Then you put it in the hands of prosecutors who have one thing in mind. That's putting you away. That's a problem. Dennis, your thoughts on this as we continue here? I agree. It's a, it's a real problem. I mean, uh, these pr- prosecutors, uh, I, I mean, it's just it's so sad when it's about a win. It's not about, uh, you know, there's no compassion. There's nothing. It's, it's, it's I have to win this case at any cost. Uh, if I withhold evidence or if I uh, uh, don't allow testimony, whatever I need to do as a prosecutor. And then, you you know, I, I like what you said when you were talking about how their 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 wallets their pockets are you know they're funded by the, you, you know the United States so they're, they're not in need of any money so anybody that's trying to fight that monster I mean it's almost impossible I mean again you have to be rich but we have to do something and again I tell you Laura said the elections are coming up we can't stress it to our American citizens please get out there listen to what uh, these these, these these folks are saying in reference to uh, justice, and, you, know, you know, justice reform. We got to really get out there and pick those people that are going to fight for what's right. I'll tell you, when she talked about the, uh, the attorney in Philadelphia, wow. You know, yeah, they got mad at him uh, because he cleaned house. He said, no, we're going to change some things here. We're going to minimize, you know, how long we put people in prison. We're going to talk about it. We're going to do the right thing. And, yeah, yeah. wow, Philip's well, loving it. We'll have a discussion, and that's something that matters. Not only a discussion, a discussion that prompted action and change. It doesn't take a scholar to look at our criminal justice system as what it is and understand how unequal it is. It truly is. Let's hear part two of Mr. Willis' story. That was the thinking in the late 1980s when mandatory sentencing became a popular tough-on-crime tool as part of the government's war on drugs, locking away not just drug dealers, but often their customers, many young first offenders. And it seemed so contrary to everything I thought I had learned in Civics 101 that um, judges can't judge now when the crimes carry mandatory minimum sentences. Julie Stewart started the advocacy group Families Against Mandatory Minimums. She says Lee Willard's 20-year sentence is not as unusual as you may think. Take the case of Weldon Angelos, a music producer with no previous record, who in 2004 was sentenced to 55 years in prison for selling marijuana worth $350 to undercover cops who found a firearm in his possession. I'm not a criminal. And then... There's 19-year-old first-time offender Jacob Laboro in Texas. He's now facing up to 20 years in prison after getting caught with a tray of hash brownies. 
No one is saying people shouldn't go to prison for committing a crime. I think that that, whether you like the law or not, it exists. If you violate it, there's a consequence to it. So what we say is that the judge should be able to determine what the punishment is, not a legislator, not a prosecutor. Stewart blames mandatory sentencing for prison overcrowding. Since 1980, the average sentence for drug trafficking has more than doubled from four years to nine and a half. And even Stephen Jansen admits sometimes the wrong people are incarcerated. Well, I'll tell you what, and we're going to hear part three of that, uh, that uh, information on Mr. Willard. Um, unbelievable. And here's the position you find yourself in as a society and legislators that where do you draw the line for judges? In one hand, you say, well, let's put it in the hands of judges. And then you have to address the judges that have lost their way of doing it right. Uh, Those that are bent on throwing the book in situations where they should not. Uh, This is, again, why oversight of some sort has to be put in place at the state level and at the federal level when it comes to judges. That's all that has to happen without oversight of anybody. We su- we're supposed to have an oversight of the branches of government in this nation. We have committees in Congress who oversight conduct of judges, conduct of human beings. The reason this has to be is because you have a flawed system with flawed individuals who will not always get it right. But the consequences of that, when a judge does not get it right, a life, a family, a mother, a father, a sister, a brother, a child suffers. Damaged many times that can never be recovered. That is what must be looked at. So how important is that little sister who sees her brother thrown in prison for triple the time that a white person got? And she misses her brother and will never have a relationship depending on that sentence. That mother who dies of a broken heart as a result of a sentence that is outrageously given to her son, to her husband. And even in the situation of guilt, we have abused inmates in this country. They say, well, the time should fit the crime. Does it fit? The RP6, RP5. It's going on seven years. For incurring debt as they start up a company to defend a nation. David Banks loses his sister as a result of this unequal justice. Can never see her sit next to him in a visitation room that he should have never been in because of unequal justice. Because of a prosecutor, a federal judge who feels no need to do the right thing. This is unequal justice, ladies and gentlemen. And Mont, you know, you look at people who have been in the uh, 
I guess you could say the business of justice, whether an attorney or a judge or um, whatever. And you you think about Jerry Spence, who this is a, a trial attorney who never lost a case in 50 years. This man knows the system inside and out. And when you take the words that he says, when, you know, he said he said one time on on CNN that, you know, justice is green. This it's, it's about money. And in his book, he says he he has a quote. He, he says, if you don't have power or money, then you likely won't receive justice. The wealthy buy their way out of trouble while the poor are punished. How do you call that a justice system? How is that any definition of the word justice? If you don't have money, if you're rich, you can buy your way out. Of, you can buy your justice. But if you're poor, you're going to be punished for being poor. Like a person can help that or change that with the snap of the finger. Like, well, you're poor, so we're going to punish you for it. When you're talking about inequality, injustice, I mean, where are the balance in the scales of justice when you say, well, the more money that you put in Lady Liberty's hand, the more likely you're going to be able to get off, the more likely you're going to get, quote unquote, justice from the system, which isn't justice. If you can buy it, it's not justice. It's the whole system is sickening, needs to be reformed, and it starts again in the ballot box. It starts with a vote to say, I'm going to vote those judges uh, that I want to be in and vote those judges that I want out to be out. And I'm going to vote those legislators and those presidents that are placing these judges. I'm going to put, you know, I'm going to put my vote in to, to make sure that laws are set in place that say at least we can push toward getting equality. I can make my, my voice heard. We can make a change one vote, one vote at a time. Oh, absolutely right. And these are things that require action. We said before on this show that you don't have the right to remain silent. We're not talking about the, uh, the rights that are given to someone at the time of an arrest. We're talking about the problem with this nation. Too many people remain silent. Nobody wants to speak out against injustice. Neighborhoods and, and, and really areas in this country that are poverty-stricken neighborhoods, a lot of those places, not all, are with minority people that live there. They don't believe in a system when you continually see people die under this rule that they say, liberty and justice for all, one nation under God. It's not true. Let's just deal with that. It's not true. And Mr. Kaepernick began to protest. Not the flag. Not our veterans. But what the flag is supposed to represent. Which is what I just said. Liberty and justice for all people. When you fail to reflect that as a nation, you have a right to say, I will not, I will not stand in hypocrisy when I don't believe that's the motive. 
I don't believe that is the agenda of this nation, is liberty for all people. He decided to speak out. Lost a lot. Because he said, I don't believe that communities of color are treated fairly. You do not have the right to remain silent regardless of the cost. Martin Luther King said, injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. That's what we should be thinking about. Let's play the final clip of the John, excuse me, of the Lee Ward story. Let's hear it. Fortunately, you have these situations where people who think they are innocent decide to go to trial instead of accepting a plea offer, and they end up receiving a more severe sentence than what maybe a gang member or drug dealer would have taken. Which is what happened to Lee Wallard. The prosecutor offered you probation. Mm -hmm. No jail sentence. Right. And you didn't take it. It never dawned on me that I would lose. Because I hadn't done anything wrong. I, I protected my family, and I didn't even hurt anybody. And Wollard's sentence seems particularly harsh, says his wife, when you consider that in Florida, if you happen to kill someone while standing your ground in self-defense, you may face no charges at all. But if you shoot a warning shot just to scare them away, you'll get 20 years in prison. The Polk County State's Attorney, whose office prosecuted Wollard, refused to discuss his case. But nationally, there is a move to return some discretion to judges. Earlier this year, federal sentencing guidelines were amended to reduce prison time. And in Florida, the legislature passed a law that exempts firing warning shots from the current harsh penalties. But it comes too late for Woolard. Everything, everything is gone. Woolard has asked the Florida governor for clemency which, incidentally, his daughter's former boyfriend supports. If he doesn't get it, Lee Wallard will leave prison in July 2028, when he is 73 years old. As bizarre as it sounds, if this is what the state of Florida requires of you to make sure your family is safe, I'm willing to do it. It's a bargain. I've got... I've got Three family members, my two daughters and my wife, and they're alive. They're alive because of this. It's a bargain. 20 years is a bargain. Well, there you have it. That is tragic. This man shot a warning shot to get an intruder out of his home. And because you fire a warning shot to protect your wife and your daughter, you get basically in prison a life sentence. 20 years is considered life. For saving the life of your wife and daughter? This is insanity on its highest level. He said, I didn't didn't think, I never thought about going to jail because I didn't do nothing. 
Nobody died. Nobody was hurt. No one was injured. And you take 20 years of this man's life, which gets him out of prison at the age of 73. Your thoughts, Samson? Yeah, I was just thinking about that now. In in the interview, he mentioned uh, the stay in your ground law and how, you know, same state. And the Trayvon Martin case, a young black man dies because somebody decides to pull a gun and say he was defending himself. And he followed him home. Yeah, exactly. And no charges. I mean, he was he was acquitted. He's free today. But this man, like you said, protecting his wife and two daughters, he said, he, you heard him say, it. oh, it's a deal because they're safe. They're alive. But it's not a deal, regardless of, you know, how he feels about it. No, he is being unfairly punished for protecting his family, for one. And like you said, nobody was hurt. Nothing happened. He fired a shot probably either in the air or or, or towards, you know, in the general direction, but towards the ground to to scare the person away. But you're going to give him 20 years. In, in, in prison, it's it's just absolutely mind-boggling to me. Well, and the state legislation won't retro the law that would release him out. This is why, again, there's no belief in this system. Mr. Willard is one of thousands of people. I was in when I was wrongfully convicted. I was in prison with a young man who was on drugs. Cops surrounded the area. They were trying to arrest him. He cracked the door and fired seven shots in the ground because he was scared. One in his right mind. He still didn't aim at a cop. They gave him 10 years per bullet. 76 years when I met him, he was sentenced to because they could have hit an officer. They gave him 10 years per bullet. That is, see, the level of insanity in the system just begs for some type of audit at the federal, at the state, at whatever level. I mean, you have judges that are, are, uh, you know, implement mandatory minimums and say, oh, they're bound by it. Then you have other judges that use their uh, discretion to step around the mandatory minimums. There needs to be some apparatus in place that says for these insane type of charges, you could have been shot. Uh, officer could have been shot. So I'm giving you 10 years uh, for each bullet well plane could have fallen out of the sky and and landed on the officer so are you gonna are you gonna uh you gonna give the pilots jail time for flying overhead while the police activity was going on it makes absolutely no sense not only should there be um you know accountability transparency but transparency but some type of audit that comes back and say these cases need to be looked at this is this is insanity how do you give a man time for what could have happened? That makes absolutely no sense. We all could have committed a crime, but that does not mean that we all should go to prison for it. 
that's right here in Colorado. He was, uh, again, I, I was in a prison with him doing my wrongful conviction. And the tears that poured down this man's face, he said, I was so high, Lamont. I knew I couldn't shoot at the cops, but hoping they would go away. Intent was not to kill a cop, because he could have shot somebody. Not one bullet. Seven shots into the ground. Unequal justice. We will be doing part two of this show a week from today to conclude the matter of issues of cases unequal justice where do we draw the line as a nation where do our leaders say enough is enough when do our communities become outraged enough to say we will not allow this any further there can be an outcry that can be an outcry so large that every major network will cover it that we will not take it. But then when you out when you cry out against injustice, the system wants to categorize you as wild animals out of control marching down streets. Martin Luther King said, I read somewhere I have the right to protest. I have that right. If I have that right, why am I demonized? Because I Protest injustice. AJC Radio, Just Cause Organization, will not cease to address injustice. William, you had thoughts? You know, I was just listening to that. And just real quick, it, it's, it's so sad to hear that they use mandatory minimums to dangle over people who can't afford, you know, proper representation. And they wonder why the prisons are overflowing. And it just had me thinking. I said, that is, our justice system is 100% for profit. That has got to be the number one business in our country. And that's why we say it's modern day slavery. Because once they have you, they will either dangle that mandatory minute. I mean, imagine any one of us sitting at a table. We're sitting here getting ready to face 20 years. And then in the case of like the IRP-5, they don't, they, if you go to trial, they don't allow you to properly you know, present evidence. And do the things that you need to do to defend yourself. No, no absolutely right. And, and Kendrick will be sharing with uh, our audience next week a little bit more about that, of what he suffered, the unequal justice from day one. Make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen. This simply does not happen at sentencing. This happened from the day an arrest or a charge was made. The unequal justice train began to roll. We will address that issue and other issues of unequal justice as we do part two of this series, Unequal Justice in America. Ladies and gentlemen, take it seriously. The reality is you could be next. We'll see you next time. Good night, America. We had tried calling the cops. We had tried doing everything. Nothing worked. Nothing. After hearing 59-year-old Lee Woolard's story, you may think he did what any family man would do. Or you may agree with a Florida jury and think he went too far. But either way, you're likely to wonder, does Willard's punishment 
really fit the crime. Never, <laughs> never in my wildest dreams did I think I would be here. It, it, I, I still have a hard time believing. It's unbelievable. Lee Wallard's troubles began six years ago. He was a professional with a master's degree in Davenport, Florida, living with his wife and their two daughters and working at SeaWorld. When his youngest daughter, Sarah, began dating a 17-year-old troubled teenager with no place to live, Wallard and his wife, Sandy, took him in. You know, if someone needs help, we'll help them. Did it go okay initially? For about a week. <laughs> it started out, his behavior was fine. I'd ask him if he would take the garbage out or clear off the table, and it was, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. But Sandy Wallard says the relationship with the boy, whom we agreed not to identify, soon soured. This young man was taking my daughter out at night after we had put her to bed and we had gone to bed. And he was disappearing with her. He would disappear for days at a time with her. And she's 16 years old. The Woolards asked him to leave, but nothing kept him out of the house until May 14, 2008. As Lee was taking a nap, his daughter and her boyfriend began to fight. You heard a loud noise. Yeah, it was like, yeah, like, like you were throwing, throwing stuff against the wall. Like, like you had a tennis ball and you're just, boom. You know, then came cries for help. What did you think? I had no idea. You know, it's not like my family to ask for help. So I grabbed my 357 and put and loaded it with shells. That's a large gun. A heck of a gun. Yes, you, you even wing someone with a 357, they're in deep trouble. According to Waller, the young man lunged at him and punched this hole in a wall. The teenager disputes that, but no one disagrees about what happened next. So I fired a warning shot into the wall. I said, next one's between the eyes. And the kid turned around and just hurried out the door. And that was the end of that. Not quite. Wallard was charged with shooting into a building with a firearm, aggravated assault, and child endangerment. And when he went on trial a year later, a jury convicted him of all charges. And then Judge Donald Jacobson sentenced him. You sentenced him to how long? I sentenced him to 20 years in Florida State Prison, which is the mandatory minimum. 20 years. And what that means is that he will serve every day of 20 years in state prison. 